Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. Kevin is Kevin is back with us, and we're sorry we we deprived him both of uh, a discussion about bedroom TVs and uh, a Rolling Stone rock trivia question that was actually about rock music. Oh. Um, <laughs> but 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 he he's he's with us again, and and we're we're happy about that because uh, we're doing something we don't necessarily do all that often with all of us. Uh, we're going to talk about sports. Sports, because we, we like, like sports, sports, and we don't care who knows. That that is that is that is correct, and I think Kevin actually, you reminded us that we had this had come up in conversation when we were all together in person uh, mm-hmm. recently. Yeah, I was wondering really what um, to what extent sports rivalries exist, and how much of it's just me and which types of media I consume and which types of people I hang out with versus anything actually changing. Because I feel like when I was younger, the, the rival rivalries meant more, you know, some that come to mind are Yankees, Red Sox, Bears, Packers, NFC East rivalries. Um, you know, most of those seem to have, at least to me, lost their importance. It used to be about like, oh, well, the Washington football team sucks, but as long as we beat Dallas, it was a good season. And I just, I don't know, I don't really feel that way anymore, and I don't really see that discourse happen as much. But anyway, so that's the that's the thought. Yeah, I, it's the thing you just said about if we beat this team, that's all that matters this year. That is something that, that is a very patient statement. I think about the way sports work now, how 10 years for coaches work, how 10 years for players work. And it is so week to week, take to take, day by day take. Um, And I think that that has a pretty big impact on how we filter through these rivalries. I would just say it is like a really wild card at the start because I was thinking about it as you were introducing, but... I don't know what teams they play for right now because it's baseball, but is whenever Jock Peterson plays Tony Pham, is that a rivalry because all the players have to get behind their guy in that leftover fantasy football uh, thing where where Tony Pham slapped Jock Peterson in the face before a game? <laughs> is that is that a rivalry? Because there's real, like, there is stuff in that. But I think what we're really talking about is is that as a as a fan experience um you know if the giants beat the eagles does that make the season more worth it even if it ends in t- 7 and 10 or however many games they play now so i'm interested in the idea that the the word that you used to describe that feeling is patient and i don't know that i necessarily agree i see what you mean by that 
Yeah. But I think the thing that it that it is is self-aware <laughs> and um as as is fairly well established on this podcast, uh sports fandom is absolutely unquestionably a mental illness. And so I I, I think it is very hard for sports fans to be self-aware. That said, I don't know, man. I I think I I have taken the the tack of believing that a fair amount of this sort of feeling of like I a special enmity of like if you're going to give me the choice between my season going well and my rival's season going poorly, I will probably choose my rival's season going poorly. I think more of that exists than we realize. Like uh, the the examples that I, I gave you guys were the the two northern divisions, um, mm-hmm. which are really those teams fucking hate each other. Those fan bases really, truly detest one another deep in their bones. And like, I don't think it's that much of a coincidence that the cities that are the axis of this are like Minneapolis and Pittsburgh and Cleveland and, you know, Detroit. Um, God, the, the Bears and the Lions, the thing about the Bears and the Lions is uh, Lion, 2022 Lions early season success aside, like their seasons are not going to historically, their seasons don't go well regardless. So, like, of course, they look forward to the chance to, like, muck things up for the Bears or Vikings because there truly is nothing else to look forward to. You know, yeah. you live in Detroit, you have northern U.S. winter coming. Like, mm-hmm. might as well get one good thing out of the year. But you also, uh, Kevin, I, I think it's it's important to notice that, you know, the the examples that you named starting out were all professional rivalries. Yeah. College, mm-hmm. like, the college athletics rivalry is still, like, it's as healthy as it's ever been. And 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 that's like, so I, I, well, I think that a lot of this comes down to like the way the way that we fan has changed, and so much of the NFL professional sports fan experience has now become about these uh, become about like fantasy and gambling and things where you track players more than you track teams. Yeah, well, I, I will just with the college, I would say I mostly agree. However, some of them kind of have been taken away just with the conference realignment. So yeah. like earlier this year, we had West Virginia play Pitt in football for the first time, uh, I think, since the, the conference is split. So while, you know, I still think that Ohio State and Michigan is st- still like both those teams, if one team's having a bad year, they're like, well, as long as we beat the other team, mm-hmm. you know, everything's cool. But yeah, some of them are lost like that. I know Maryland liked to think that they were a rival with Duke, but Duke didn't really care about Maryland in basketball. So, you know, that one's also gone. But yeah, I'd say I think that colleges mostly still exist, except for in the cases where the kind of scheduling was taken away from them. Yeah, and, and I do, I, I, I think that there's a reason why some of these pro rivalries have have changed and, and we'll get to that and, and why 
some of the, I think, geographic and maybe conference ties of, of um, college sports have remained. But Max, you are from an area of the world that does certainly, I think certainly in hockey, um, in basketball to a great extent, um, and then uh, not so much, it's not so much football maybe, but baseball as well. The Boston area, I think, is is always ready for a, a rivalry type fight. And mm-hmm. and it is it is like bone deep and geographic based often. And you know, me being from the DC area, a lot of those teams are not very old. They're transient in a lot of ways. But is is there something there that that makes maybe these rivalries in Boston still be team based as opposed to maybe individual based? And by individual, I mean player. Um, that's a good question. I don't know. I think <clears throat> if you think about these cities that have rivalries, um, a lot of them are cold and miserable for a good portion of the year. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> Just noticing as we call that out. Um, I, and I think, you know, New Englanders are known to be kind of rough around the edges and, and not as, as friendly. I mean, it's tough to say. I, I think that some of those rivalries have definitely stuck around but one thing that jumps out to me is like i mean kevin mentioned you know duke not caring about maryland for basketball and it's like for the rivalry to be healthy meaning both fan bases care i feel like the teams have to be at least somewhat equal and so i know that as i've watched the patriots for lack of a better word dominate for like 20 years certainly in the afc east the rivalries in there especially i mean really just with the bills was kind of like you know, the Bills probably hated the Patriots, but I, I think most Patriots fans became pretty apathetic and are now maybe even excited for, like, the younger brother to actually look pretty good. Uh, that would be, I'm sure, different if the Patriots were better last year and this year. Um, but I'm sure that, like, I think that plays into it. Uh, so I, I don't know if there's, like, a geographical yeah. difference. It also could be distance between places. Um but I also think it's interesting we're focusing on rivalries like from a fan base. But what I jumped to immediately was like a Rafael Nadal and, and Novak Djokovic rivalry where it's like, oh. I don't know if those fans actually root against the other. It's I think most of the fans actually want them to play each other in the finals, which is almost interesting. Novak Djokovic, like, bad example right now. I think well, a lot of people are rooting against him. A couple years him. ago. But yeah, 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 that's fine. <laughs> well, there isn't another, I mean, yeah. Or any kind of tennis rivalry where it's it, it is only one player. Or mm-hmm. even I'm thinking, you know, I'm not I'm not as big of an NBA fan, but I can certainly think of. I'm sure there's been plenty of NBA finals where people are just rooting for, I don't know, LeBron and someone else to face each other, and it's not really about the yeah. teams; it's it, more it, about it, the the individuals. And and I'm glad you said that because that is one thing that I think not even not even just in in basketball. Basketball is a great example because I think that they have a healthy relation. Well they free agency and like people will change teams it's more understood and happens in a way that maybe maybe not so much in in football baseball they do really really long contracts hockey you know hockey is doing better but it's still kind of weird to sell but but football and basketball there is this marketing of individuals that i think is very strong i would point to Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and 
you know, they were mostly on the same team for a long time, but eventually, you know, Peyton Manning went to a different team, but that rivalry remained. And I, I think you see that in, in basketball a lot too. Uh, LeBron and Kevin Durant a lot and, and different players. And even as they, they move to other places, those rivalries remain. Now in basketball, there are only five players on each team on the court at a time. So the individual gets an outsized placement. But I think it's interesting you mentioned that. It's not just in tennis or in golf that you can say, oh, there are these individuals versus individuals. But I do think that that is an extremely powerful tool for rivalries in this modern vein, in addition to not only marketing them as faces of leagues, but they're faces of products. And they have this huge social media outreach too. We are in the perfect age for rivalries to change from Mm -hmm. maybe geography or team-based to individual versus individual-based. Yeah. And and to answer your question earlier about why Boston stands out, it honestly could just be volume. Like, Boston fans are loud. They want you to know that they hate the Yankees. breaking news. Philly fans are loud. They want you to know that they hate... The Ravens, but like if you go to any sports bar in any city with a major team, the fans are probably pretty passionate about those rivalries. Um, at least the fans. It's just again, it's, it's how big the how big and loud those fan bases are. That'd be, I'm sure that's some of it. But like, there like are a lot of Bostoners some... like to make Boston sports their personality, and I think there's other cities where that's <laughs> the case, but there's a lot of cities where that's not the case. I mean, in, I I don't know that people in in Miami do that with the Dolphins. That's not to say there aren't fans that care and are diehard fans, but they don't make that necessarily like, you know, the second bullet point on their Tinder profile. Right. The ones, maybe they do. The ones that fascinate me are like, you know, do, do fans of the Houston Texans attempt to claim some sort of rivalry? Like they haven't been, they haven't been around long enough. Well, I think it's one of those where don't play it, it takes both sides. So, like, you know, the, the Texans probably like to think that they're rivals with someone, but the Jaguars or something. The Colts probably the Titans. I would argue that they probably don't. I I don't know. Um, golf golf is also one that fascinates me a great deal because they're not even competing against each other. There, it's just it's an individual playing the course, and it just so happens that there are like a hundred of them doing it at any given time. But like the the early two thousands, we had this whole we constructed this Tiger Woods versus Phil Mickelson rivalry that I don't know if either of them felt at all. Like I I, I don't know that they didn't, but you know it it, it is. It is fascinating to, to think about, like, which of these things, you know, are kind of just creations of the fan bases mm-hmm. and which have roots in, in something deeper. Like, the, to, for, for my money, and, and I'm, I am, of course, biased, but I think one of the, the ugliest, bitterest rivalries in all of professional sports and one of the only... Uh, one of the relatively few warm weather ones is Saints Falcons. Yes, and, and I'm glad you said that. And it it come that rivalry is so interesting because it's it's really deep in large part because it kind of uh, it started out having dick to do with football. It was uh, you know, it was part of a a larger cultural argument over 
which city was going to be the kind of ascending cultural center of the South. And, you know, both, both cities have pretty, pretty good claims on that in some form or fashion, but Atlanta is undoubtedly the, like the actual hub hub of the whole Southeastern U S and, and so uh, Saints fans, you know, relish that rivalry so much that uh, we still put up billboards and make t-shirts and shit about the last, you know, 17 minutes of a Super Bowl that we didn't even participate in. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that one is important too. And to go back to the AFC North as well, whereas the Ravens and the Steelers are competing every year for a playoff spot. And there is a positive aspect to, to that rivalry. This like the Browns and Bengals historically um, is a negative rivalry in that, and no one does it better than the the secret base crew in the, the history of the Atlanta Falcons, which I need to finish. But there is like only one team with a worse winning percentage over time than the Falcons, and it's the Saints, or they flip flop. But they are both terrible. So like you needed someone to to Kevin's point earlier of like Bucks. It might it might be the Bucks, but but yeah, those they are both so terrible you know, in a historical fashion that you need this win because you honestly <laughs> may not have another one the whole year. Unfortunately, you get to play them twice. And I think that that rivalry is beautiful because it is such a pessimistic uh, viewpoint. And and I and I do think it's good. And I think in some ways that has some of the, the end of season college rivalry aspect in it, which is well, we made it to the end of the year. Let's go out with at least one win that we can feel good about because we hate this other person. And so many of the really great college rivalries have this same sort of like culture clash thing about them. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, Giants Dodgers, L.A. versus San Francisco. It like is that you know uh, Yankees Mets to a certain extent is like you're choosing sides and, and which which team you support says something about who you are. Bears Packers is, you know, the the tiny the tiny working town in Wisconsin versus the the big the big city slickers of the upper Midwest. Like you know, these all have DNA, shared DNA with like Duke Carolina and Texas, Texas A&M in a way that like Virginia, Virginia Tech. Yeah, absolutely. I I don't know that anyone gives a shit about that quote unquote rivalry, but like, you know, they're, they're, they're coming from similar places in a way that I don't really know if, you know, Browns Bengals does. Yeah. I, I, and we probably haven't talked enough about college ones, but I think even the, the UVA Virginia Tech one, I, I think it has it has lost some of its luster of late, even though it's more competitive. But there's something that's fun about the, the you know the Virginia Virginia Tech, the Georgia Georgia Tech, those type of rivalries where the one team wins every year, but every year the team that is not going to win gets this 
irrational optimism saying this is the year Lucy's not going to pull the football away. We're going to do it. It's really, it's really a sadist and a masochist. And in our case, UVA has historically been the masochist that is like, we're going to do it and then lose by 40. Wait, you know, you know, people that like in our lifetimes have gone into a Virginia, Virginia tech football game thinking Virginia was going to win. I think well, that there are the Virginia teams is going to win. Yeah. Like the, the Perkins. And if you here, get, if you get lost enough yeah. in the tailgate. Yeah. yeah. I think there is at least one person of the four of us who has felt that way uh, on at least one occasion, if not more. Well, and then I assume whichever one of us it was uh, saw UVA uh, throw the ball to an offensive lineman on fourth and goal last year with the game on the line and realized that their optimism should be dead and buried and never come back again. Well, that's that's why we're masochists, because we we look to the pain. <laughs> so I'm, I'm curious, we've talked about professional sports, and we've talked about college sports. What about, um, what about like, at the country level, I'm thinking like the World Cup or the Olympics. I mean, oh, are there? Well, uh, oh boy! I think there's U- a U.S. Big... versus take U.S. versus Mexico in in soccer games that don't matter is a is a huge rivalry that usually involves urine. Yeah, take the culture clash aspect of like Duke Carolina, ratchet it up to fifty thousand, and then tear off the dial, and you have gotten halfway to Brazil mm-hmm. Argentina, or like halfway to halfway to. But, but I wonder, does that at some point get even, or if, I think we're saying it blatantly, but it becomes less and less about sports? Yeah. yeah more right. more about just thing. an like, opportunity to hate, uh, like, a different group I, of people. So, I, so I, I think... Not hate, but well, yeah. But I, I think, in some way, the, the conclusion we're maybe sort of reaching is that, like, the best and sustaining sports rivalries are never fully about sports. Mm-hmm. So like, I, I don't know. I think that those fires are going to keep burning for a long time unless, you know, Brazil just kind of stops playing international soccer. And, and keep in mind too that, and, and I think a better example is probably the club sports, um, especially soccer in, in Europe and, and, and really in South America as well. But, you know, we're talking about college rivalries you can root for a college team without going to that college sure but a lot of people that were most invested in it went to went to that college so there is that barrier for injury which is chose to go to that college yeah that you could get into college you could make it work and you chose to go there and you chose to be a fan um the professional sports model in america is kind of a weird model in that these teams can move but for uh soccer and to an extent basketball in in europe especially like it really is about where you're from and sometimes they are they are relatively small places like when um atalanta plays juventus like you know not that they have a particularly fierce rivalry but you have this stuff and it's like this is where i'm from the the place where i'm from is is on this jersey and historically it is about that geography and often it is a a working class background thing stretching back 100 150 years and so i think that those rivalries to the point of it is about more than the sport itself those really run deep i mean just point to some of the really horrific things that happened in the 80s at at soccer tournaments and when the uh 
the London area teams would play the more northern um, England teams in Premier Leagues and some of the terrible stuff they do to one another, uh, referencing the economy and, and Thatcherism and, and everything else. So we are we are but you know we tykes in the the game of it being more than the game yeah but yeah i I think that the country example is good because i mean uh i believe in 1982 england played argentina at the world cup right after the falkland islands war it was about more than soccer i mean just stuff like that oh yeah england argentina is still like to this day it is one of the bitterest international rivalries between that and the Diego Maradona hand of God goal in 86. Mm -hmm. Like there's a ton of really bad blood between those teams. Yeah. And, and I think that I I think in that way, as you know, thinking about what, what type of rivalries I prefer, um, I mean, I don't, I, I don't really want there to be any violence and like, let's not throw slurs at one another. But the ones that are based on something more than individuals, it's, it's like in your fandom there is something deep seated and, and there is, there is a pride in you and, and, and also I, I think it is good to, to, for the negative side to be like, I do not like this team at all. I do not want them to win as much as I also want my team to win. Those I think make for the best as opposed to, uh, you know, I really like Russell Wilson. So I hope that on the Broncos, he now beats the Chargers every week or something. Well, I think this is part of what's so enduring about El Clasico, Real Madrid and and Barcelona is it's not it doesn't have the same sort of like violent hooliganism type history as, you know, as your your English rivalries. But it goes back many decades and and has its roots it like barcelona was sort of a a workers collective group that turned itself into a soccer club and 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 their literal motto is more than a club and they you know catalonia is this region of spain that has on on several occasions you know attempted to gain autonomy and kind of defect off from the country of spain you know, Real Madrid Royal is in the name. It's the, the, you know, it's the preferred club of, of the, the establishment. It's the most famous, I mean, they're the two most famous clubs in the world. Um, I think the preferred club of Franco as well. Correct. Although interestingly, if I I think this maybe comes up in, in uh, Jonathan Wilson's book, inverting the pyramid, I think, or maybe, maybe in one of the other Barcelona books that I've read in the last year or two. Uh, Franco also uh, gave some support to Barcelona. I think, you know, I I think there was probably some element of like wanting to have a rival. Um, But there's like, there's, there's this like ideological heft to that rivalry in, in the sense that Barcelona is about, you know, a beautiful game and like a, a, a different way of playing that in some ways does not place winning as the highest priority. Uh, and, and it's more about like playing a certain way. And Real is this massive juggernaut of, you know, commerce and stardom and Hollywood. Like, you know, this is, this is the club that, 
that pried David Beckham away from Manchester United in the early 2000s and you know like had this whole model of we're we're going to build they called it the Galacticos it's like we're going to bring in the biggest stars all the biggest stars in the game and it didn't necessarily work that well but like it that clashed very obviously with the sort of Barcelona plan and and I think what that gets to and maybe is a better way of describing what I was trying to get at is I think that the United States professional sports, um, given given the impatience, uh, you know, save like Greg Popovich and Bill Belichick, um, the the person who would install an ethos is not there for long. I you know sometimes they talk about like the Steelers way and everything else, but we get an ethos of an approach of a way a team works in Barcelona or Real Madrid or I don't know Alabama football. Um, that you have to be really patient for that to develop and there has to be handshakes year over year and a buy-in from the fans of like this is the way we we do it you know buckeye nation or we are penn state stuff like that and it's really corny but it means something and and so you're not just rooting for your team you're you're rooting for an approach and i think that that's that is what i get really uh interested in and it makes it makes the duke carolina rivalry better because i know the carolina ethos and i know the duke ethos and i like seeing them tear each other apart over it yeah uh, all right any final thoughts before we wrap up in that case i guess it's time for pierce's sorry yeah i've i've been thinking recently about um some some bar stuff that i, I still need to buy for like my home you know, arrangement of things and drinks to make and everything else. And, and there are things that I'm like, I, I cannot, cannot force myself to, to buy this. Cause it's, it's expensive. Like, uh, uh, not maraschino, um, uh, chartreuse and absinthe, especially when you're just using it to rinse a glass. I, I can't really in good faith spend $70 on either of those. Cause they only sell them really large bottles. But the one thing that I go to buy frequently and then get really irritated with myself. And, and really, it's the apology should be directed at my aunt, who was nice enough to get me on multiple occasions, um, Luxardo uh, Maraschino cherries, which I believe at least one of you on this has has benefited from, from that. Um, but I, I got them at a time when I wasn't I wasn't ever making uh, drinks like that. Um, and so there were all these containers of Luxardo cherries that I give away to like Sean and, and maybe uh, our, our pal Robert. And now I'm like, damn it, I should have kept those <laughs> because they <laughs> they are they're not super expensive, but they're expensive enough that that like I I would like to not have to buy a, a container of them. But, you know, so it goes. Uh, giving away is, is better than food waste but really think critically about whether you'll need something or not because someone got that gift for you and it was probably a good one. Well, at, at the same time, you could also look at it as they gave you the opportunity to give someone else a gift. And that's maybe true. that someone else very much appreciated uh, not having to spend, you know, $20 on cherries themselves. Yeah, I think I think it is about twenty dollars to buy one of those. But they are great. <laughs> they are great. Um, they, they really so. are. Yeah. 
Um, okay. Well, uh, thank you for for that, and and we'll move on now uh, to a big idea from pop culture. Um, did anyone else know that they were still making new episodes of Archer? I I watch Hulu, so I think I knew that. Well, I was not aware of that until fairly recently. Archer is in its 13th season, which is wild. Um, is that more wild than the fact that they're still doing Grey's Anatomy? Oh, no, no, yes, no. Yes, that's no, no, much no. more wild. What? Um. Also, uh, The Walking Dead is now in its final season. I genuinely thought it had its final season oh, about no, five yeah. years ago. But they're also on their in, but... second spin-off series, too. Like... Man, but the, the survivors doing it with the same guy. I just saw an ad for it. <laughs> you're, you're literally like, naming shows that I thought have been off the air for like ten years. Like, what percentage of people have participated in Survivor at this point? Most. I mean, to the to the question about Grey's Anatomy, like it surprises me more. Honestly, it surprises me more that ER is not still airing than it surprises me that. Grey's Anatomy is like I don't know how like they could have made that show forever see Mm -hmm. the full law and order universe see the new the sort of new wave of Dick Wolf shows where just like everything is about Chicago for some reason (laughs) like all of all of these NCIS Cleveland all of these like network sort of procedural drama shows like I am never surprised when one of those goes on for, you know, 15 plus years. But the idea of like a kind of raunchy spy cartoon getting to double digit seasons is frankly, it blows my mind a little bit. And it makes it even crazier when you think about the fact that there's like a whole, you know, I I suppose this is a, a spoiler for archer but if you haven't watched any of archer you know whatever maybe this will actually entice you there's a whole three season arc where each season has kind of like a theme there's one that's set like in the 40s and one that's in space and one that's in kind of like a jungly situation and it turns out that those three seasons are like coma fever dreams Mm -hmm. um and, and so you can kind of disregard all of them if you are going to go back through and watch it like I am now currently doing. Um, I have not gotten into any of the new stuff yet, but I just like the show is really funny. And I, I, it's, I, I find it unsurprising because there are a bunch of people our age with TVs in their bedrooms that they leave on <laughs> when they go to sleep. So, of course, people are, quote unquote, uh, watching our touche. That's a good point. Uh, but it's like it's. You know, it's got a, a great cast. Uh, John Benjamin is delightful. Aisha Tyler is wonderful. Judy Greer makes everything she's in better. Like, it, it's, I don't know. It, it's, I know animation is like a tough hurdle for, for some people to get over as adults. But like, I don't know. The the joke density is, is really high. And if you like your, your, comedies with slightly fewer guardrails like sunny like if you like sunny better than say 30 rock or parks and rec like you probably ought to check out archer you might like it all right uh on that note we'll uh 
We'll wrap up with a Rolling Stone Rock trivia question. I don't care if I get last place as long as Pierce goes down. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. Rivalry. All right. And your question for today. What was Tina Turner's name in 1956 when she started singing with Ike Turner's Kings of Rhythm? Was she A, Tina Wright, B, Ruth Lee Jones, C, Anna Mae Bullock, or D, Cyrita Davis? Say B. I'm going to say C. I'm going to go D. Max, you are correct. Her name, her birth name is Anna Mae Bullock. Let's go. Uh, just got it wrong. <laughs> that uh, that correct answer combined with uh, Kevin and Pierce getting it wrong uh, brings you into still last place. Nice. I don't care as long as Pierce got it wrong. <laughs> there you go. Get it wrong. Uh, Pierce still has essentially the same number of correct answers this year as you and Kevin combined. Cool. So do with that information what you will. You guys are ticking. running out of time to catch up. In the in the what the, the fiscal year? The, oh the, yeah, the fiscal cal- year you're dead. No, the uh, calendar year <laughs> since it's based on a page a day calendar. Mm, yes, <laughs> the I, calendar. The second quite, time I've brought that up. And quite literally, I did not get that. Quite literally runs out in a couple months. So, uh, you best best get to sharpening your knowledge if you want to win. I have no idea what you win. But I don't Pride. know. Maybe it'll that's, be something. That's how rivalries work. Pride. <laughs> yeah, sure. You you win the chance to buy a page a day calendar and, and choose the topic for next year. So uh, all right. That's the end of the show. You can find us at our home on the web, www.prettyokpod.com. You can subscribe to the feed on your podcast app of choice. Uh, if you do that, tell a friend about the show. We'd love to share it with them as well. Uh, hopefully if you or your family or friends have been, uh, dealing with, uh, hurricane Ian, uh, you and and the people you love are, are all safe and have made it through without, uh, too much hardship. Um, we'll be back next week to talk about something else until then. I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. I'm Max. I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening. Bye.